Well, guys, thank you so much for watching and listening. We're going to be wrapping up our series, Different, today. And different has been, it's a word that's often used to describe something unlike another person, place, or thing. As in, my Uncle Eddie is different, or that sub is different. Different also means separate or distinct. And during the series, we saw how God has called us to be different and how we can be different in a very post-Christian culture. So being different requires a different perspective. And if God is calling us to be different, we need to have his perspective. And it's a different kind of perspective. It matters how we see people, how we see things, and how we see circumstances. It really, truly does matter. And if we see things differently, we're going to be able to respond differently. So every week we've done this brain teaser. And take a moment to answer this question. How can 29 minus 1 equal 30? Well, the answer is imagining the numbers are written in Roman numerals. So you have XXIX minus I equals XXX. The whole point of the brain teaser is to assure us that how we see life, how we see people, how we see circumstances really, truly does matter. And if we're not seeing things in the right frame or the right perspective, we're going to miss getting it right. And we all want to get life right. I believe we do. I believe we want to get life right. And this whole series has been... I believe for for many of you, you said this has been extremely helpful Uh, as we've been talking about cultural issues. Many of you have asked me, how do I respond to different things? How would Jesus respond to different things? And and I believe that we've um, been able to look at different things from Jesus's perspective. And we're going to be looking at another topic today as we wrap up our series. So last month, Gallup released the results of their United States LGBTQ identification poll. Now the number of adults self-identifying as LGBTQ has increased from 5.6% in 2020 to 7.1% today. Now this percentage of 7.1% is actually double from 2012 when they began tracking this metric. Now the biggest jump is seen in Generation Z. So you have all the generations listed, but you'll notice Generation Z. One in five self-identify as LGBTQ. Now, this jump was double from 2017 when 1 in 10 self-identified as LGBTQ. So looking at the chart, the chart, over 50% of adults who self-identify as LGBTQ would specifically self-identify as bisexual. So if someone, if we stood back to see the forest from the trees, Generation Z, those born between 1997 and 2012, have been influenced by several events, one being the Supreme Court legalizing gay marriage, countless ads and commercials showing same-sex attracted people holding hands or kissing or even going beyond that. You have reading books about gender identity and or the media headlining Bruce Jenner's transition to Caitlyn Jenner. Now, notice the observation from theologian James White. Notice his observation. As a result of this kind of cultural context, Generation Z has become sexually and relationally amorphous. He goes on, it is doubtful that 21% are truly bisexual. What they are is truly open. There is a difference. For many to say that you are bisexual, even though you have never engaged in homoerotic behavior 
it is the ideological correct thing to say. Sexual fluidity is a refusal of either the homosexual or heterosexual label, even the male or female label. The idea is that all labels are repressive. Sexuality should be free or set free of any and all restrictions allowed to follow its desire moment by moment, relationship by relationship, feeling by feeling. So there's an exception or there's an expectation of these percentages that we just saw to actually increase because as Generation Z become adults, politicians, lawyers, um, business leaders, they're going to begin setting the thermostat for culture. See, months right before this poll was distributed, there was a bellwether incident in the Twitterverse, and that triggered a global response. Uh, maybe you remember this. J.K. Rowling, who is the British author of the very popular Harry Potter series, tweeted support for Maya Forstater. Maura Forstater lost her job for questioning a change in British law that would have not require a physician's diagnosis of gender dysphoria to change someone's birth certificate sex. This is what she tweeted. And she found herself being canceled after this tweet. Dress however you please. Call yourself whatever you like. Sleep with any consenting adult who have you. Live your best life in peace and security, but force women out of their jobs for stating sex is real? Question mark. Hashtag I stand with Maya. Hashtag this is not a drill. Well, Harry Potter or Daniel Ratcliffe responded to that. And this is what he wrote. Transgender women are women. So what does that phrase mean? What does that phrase transgender women are women? What does it mean? If this is the case, if, if that's the case, doesn't it mean that they should use women's bathrooms, compete in women's sports, um, enter women's shelters, and enter women's prisons. If it's true, doesn't that mean that we need to redefine woman? Now, if it's not true, if it doesn't mean that, does that mean people like J.K. Rowling are transphobic and oppressive? See, for many parents and grandparents who have spoken to me and how, how stressed out and anxious they are about this, they're having a hard time because this is a different way of life with a different set of acceptable life choices. The idea of choosing your gender was something that no one thought about 25 years ago. I mean, sure, you had your like drag queens, but that's as far as it went. No one was thinking that there was going to be 99 genders. I mean, no one was ever thinking about that 25 years ago. And the tension for many people is this. It's how do we go from a small minority of biological males who felt discomfort with their sex from childhood and eventually resolved the discomfort to now we have biological females having gender surgeries? How did that happen? According to the stats, there are twice as many female-to-male surgeries than there are male-to-female surgeries. There are several thoughts behind why this is happening. And this, is, this hits home for, for Jenny and I. I mean, we, we've walked with several families through this. S 
It's socially acceptable. You have abusive homes. You have dads not willing to provide identity to their kids. Anxiety and shame on how their bodies are developing and fear. Now, journalist Abigail Schreier, I found this pretty interesting that she believes this is the reason for gender dysphoria. She writes, therapists are now in effect required to affirm an adolescent's stated trans identity. Young girls who may have other mental health struggles are being offered puberty blocking drugs, testosterone, and ultimately mastectomies in order to enter the promised land of maleness. And while their parents are told that stopping them will lead to suicide. Guys, I'm not denying the fact that they're not suicides because it is true that the suicide rate is over 50% for those female to male trans teenagers. But making a life-altering decision that promises satisfaction, what ends up happening after that depression and attempted suicide so it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense that, sure, sure, it is true that the suicide rate is high, absolutely, but it's also true that it is high after they get to the quote-unquote promised land. So how do we navigate this issue? How do we navigate this issue with grace, truth, and love? You know, we talked about truth. Truth being what, what we say, grace, how we say it, and love is how we show it. Like, there has to be a different approach, right? There has to be a different approach that doesn't overpromise and underdeliver. So we're going to look at how Jesus treated people. We're going to see how Jesus treated those who by birth or by choice experienced gender confusion. But before we do, it's really important to embrace Jesus as God. See, Jesus was God in the flesh. We look at that in John 1:14, where the word became flesh and made his home among us. Before Jesus was the miracle worker and the master teacher from Nazareth, he was creator. And the reason why this is so important is that because from the very first pages of our Bible, God has a design for men and women. Notice, we read this the last few weeks in Genesis 1, 27 and 28. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So binary. It's male and female. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. You know, have babies. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So a couple things really important. One, biological sex is binary. It's male or it's female. Now, there's purpose giving to the sexes. Like God has given a purpose to biological males and biological females. There's purpose. So how can that be repressive? How can that be even oppressive? If anything, God's very creative. Babies only exist because of the binary setup. Like since it's binary, sexuality isn't like picking your candy, your favorite candy, your favorite color, or your favorite movie. It is hardwired into our being. It's who we are, and it's who we are to be. Now, I don't want you to miss this. Being made in God's image means that we respond to God and we relate with God. 
No other created being can say that. We are different. We are made in God's image, which means that we can respond to God and relate with God. Now, God's design hasn't always been followed. If we take a look through the Old Testament, we'll notice of cultures outside of Israel who looked at things a little differently. Like when we look at the book of Esther, and in the book of Esther, you have a guy by the name of Xerxes who has a harem, and a harem is where he had women who he would sleep with. And that was the whole purpose of the harem. But he would have men over that harem who he would castrate so they would not be tempted to mess, for lack of a better phrase, mess with his property. And then Plato came about 350 years before Jesus walked the earth and he taught that what you did in your body, what you did to your body would not affect your soul. He said, whatever you do to your body, whatever you want to do, it would not affect the soul. And then during the time of Jesus, there were men who lived in a, a northern province called Galatia. And they were called the Galli. And they were men dressed as women. Tom Holland, a historian, describes them this way. The Galli, men dressed as women, were servants of Cybele, the mother goddess who sat enthroned amid the highest peaks of Galatia. And the mark of their submission to this most powerful and the rubble of the region's gods was the severing with a knife or sharp stone of their testicles. And then Jesus walks on the scene. And there's a moment in his teaching ministry that Matthew records. And I think for some of us who've been around the block maybe a little bit with church, I believe that we've missed this. Or maybe we didn't know what it meant. In this moment, Jesus is being asked by the religious leaders if it's lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason. And in this moment, Jesus not only affirms the binary design of marriage, but also the binary design of creation. So, so notice how Jesus responds to them, how he interacts with them. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. Binary. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So there's a cause and effect. There, there's a cause and effect. The reason why marriage is between a biological male and a biological female is because God created a biological male and a biological female. And then the religious leaders, they... Maybe they weren't real happy with the answer. Or maybe they didn't feel like they got the right answer what they were looking for. And so then they say, well, why didn't Moses permit divorce? And Jesus says, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God had originally attended. And I'll tell you this. Whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. And in response, his disciples, because he has such a high standard of marriage, said that if this is the case, it's better not to marry. See, Jesus' stand on marriage was stronger than the Jewish religious leaders. I mean, he was for sexual and marital faithfulness, so much so that he encouraged people not to marry if they were not going to be faithful if they were not going to be faithful. 
And people, and the disciples knew. I mean, everybody in, in the crowd knew as he looked at their Greek and Roman counterparts that women were not valued. It was the men that were cheating. It was the men that were unfaithful. It wasn't the women. And then he could have stopped there. But he didn't. And he continues the theme of sexual faithfulness with the following statement. And perhaps there were people in the crowd that were struggling with shame and fear with their identity. And then maybe he didn't want that moment to to escape. Maybe he sees some people in the crowd and he says this. Not everyone can accept this statement. Only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs. Some have been made eunuchs by others. And some chose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. He speaks to three different groups of people with empathy and encouragement. You had eunuchs who were made eunuchs. This was done in some cultures like we talked about, how men were placed in charge of a harem, or maybe because of punishment, and they would be castrated. That meant they could not produce children, and they didn't marry. And then you have those who were born. They were, they were not born with their sexual organs, their sex organs. Uh, we would call that intersex which means they could not produce kids and most didn't marry. And then you have eunuchs by choice or you have those who were willing to be celibate for the sake of God. They were willing to give their lives fully devoted to God and not be distracted with, with marriage. And it didn't mean that they castrated themselves. What it meant is they were just celibate. And Paul's a great example of being single for, for Christ. Now, Rebecca McLaughlin, and she sort of sums it up this way. She says, our value as Christians is not tied to our reproductive ability. It's tied to Christ. Without question, gender dysphoria is a real struggle for some. It's chronic. It can be emotional. It can be painful. And our world is out of rhythm with God. And one of the consequences... Is because of our sin. Guys, without question, gender dysphoria is a real struggle for some. Just like it was back then, it is still today. It can be chronic, it can be emotional, it can be painful. Our world is out of rhythm with God. And this is one of the consequences of our sin. Not only are we not right, God, our world is not right. No matter what we try to do to right the ship, it'll never be enough apart from God. And until God renews all things, including our bodies, we're going to struggle with our bodies. And whatever we attempt to do to right the ship, surgery, medication, treatment, counseling, guys, it will never be enough to fix what only God can fix. As we're trying to fix the body, when God is the only one who can heal the soul. I noticed what Sam Alberry 
what his observation is. And Sam has struggled with same-sex attraction, and this is what he observes. He says, no, the only answer to our experience of brokenness in our bodies is found in the ultimate brokenness of Christ's body. He experienced the ultimate affliction. His was the body most reviled by others. And the ultimate dysphoria ever experienced was when he who had no sin was made sin for us. Talk about being in the wrong flesh, yet he went through all of that for us. He experienced ultimate brokenness so that we would never have to. Guys, Jesus' invitation to you is the same as it was to the eunuchs, to those who were celibate, to the lepers, to the adulterous woman, to uh, the, the rich young ruler, to the religious leaders, to the Roman soldiers, to the dishonest tax collectors, to the fishermen. It was this, come, die, and live. Come to him with our pain, with our shame, with our hurt, with our resentment and fear because he's the only one that can heal our soul and then die, die to our culture's uh, promise of happiness and our flesh's desires that are apart from God. So come to him, die to our, our flesh, our selfish desires and live in the hope of a renewed body that will be healed from pain. Guys, until we wait for the day when our bodies will be completely renewed, we are invited to trust Him and trust in His ways. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for the unique opportunity to look at this topic. Jesus, thank You so much for addressing it. Thank You that You handled it with, of course, truth and grace, balanced so well with love. And so, Father, I'm asking that you would allow us to model that for the people in our lives. Lord, this is a very personal issue and struggle for many, but nothing they're not able to overcome through the Holy Spirit's power and through your leadership in their life. I pray that people would surrender to your design. God, help us not to be trying to take control, trying to redefine things. Lord, it's not going to get us anywhere. Father, help us to submit to you as the ultimate authority in our lives. God, thank you so much for the people on the other side of the screen. I just ask that you would, for those who are Christians, that we would be able to handle things with grace, with truth, and love. Father, for those who are struggling in their relationship with you, maybe they're they haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, I ask that you would allow them to surrender all and follow you. That they would repent of their sin, turn, go to you, believe and trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. Lord, we love you. We're so thankful that you've given us your word so we know how to live. In Jesus' name, amen.